I'm doing a I'm doing a bed twerk right now. I know. You just I, 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 I'm on an exercise ball and it's actually really kind of good. For yes. <laughs> this is modified twerking. I can do that. She can do it. The, the modified twerk. Yes. Oh my god. I'm gonna be doing that well into my 80s. The modified twerk. Okay. <laughs> two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that is rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's push it. Hello and welcome to the Push Podcast. This is season two, episode 17. And we are super excited because we have a special guest on with us today. It is Julianne Jackson, and we are so excited. Yes, yes, super excited. Uh, Julianne, how would you describe what it is that you do? Yeah, um, I would say I'm a peopler. <laughs> um, I connect people with other people. Uh, I love on people. Uh, we show up for people. Um, if it has to do with people or the human condition, we're about it. Um, but if we if we're using like real words, um, I guess I'm an activist. Um, I'm currently a movement building director and uh, run a nonprofit locally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We first met Julianne um, as she was sort of building and, you know, sort of birthing Black Joy. Yeah. Again. Yes. And it was one of those things that like you just couldn't help but be excited by seeing this movement. Like I, um, joy is such an important part of activism. Mm -hmm. And I think when you started capturing that and like putting it out in the community, it was like, I have to like be around that more and be part of it and help that movement because it's so important and so powerful. So thank you so much for the work that you do there. Yeah, thank you. I think it's like, you know, I think joy is one of those things where, um, especially with what's going on and and being kind of um, around racism frequently, you know, joy is one of those things that you can hang on to that really nobody can take. And I think that that's so, so important, especially for activists, for them to, you know, just be able to maintain, um, you know, their smile and their happiness. And I think at first I used to think like, maybe this is a trauma response and I'm just like super happy for no reason. Right. Um, but then I kind of realized that like really joy has helped me get through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, main, being able to hold on to my happiness and find it in little places and little pockets has really been um, key to my survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, even like from a scientific perspective, like we know that trauma can be passed down generationally yeah. And you got to think if that's the case, 
then joy can be too. So doing sort of this like, like kind of therapeutic, like almost like I'm, you know, like in your face, like I am, we're going to find joy. And yeah. I, I really do believe that that has to be able to be passed down as well. And oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> joy, joy is definitely a form of resistance. hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah. I was looking for resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Joy is definitely a form of that. You know, when people want to make you miserable, when people don't want to see you win, when people want to, you know, really watch you falter. Um, and I know like everybody's had this moment where they're mad about something and they get around someone else that's happy and they're like, Oh, and they're even madder. Like, yes, we want that for the haters. We want you to be so mad that we're so happy. Like you tried to take it and we just won't let you have it. Um, it really is a true form of resistance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it builds like, yeah, I'm, this might be a little TMI, but you know, I, that's kind of what happens on this podcast. <laughs> just telling Jill yesterday that the more like acts of activism that I participate in, the hornier I am and the better sex I'm having. And I'm like, what the hell is, and, and my husband's like, well, you're like getting out of your own head. You're not thinking about worrying yeah. about anymore. Like you are doing something and yeah. then like enjoy you know yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you get to feel good about yourself you right. know you get to go okay I've, I've seen a problem here's my solution you know here's what I can do and I think so many times like people kind of sit in this like space where I don't know what to do I don't know what to do so they just do nothing yeah you know and then that that eats at them and then that kind of eats away at like how they feel about who they are because they see a problem. We all see the problem, right? But it's like when you sit in that and you know you're doing nothing. Yeah. That's tough. Um, You know, so even if you're doing, you know, even if you're growing in your activism and you're learning in your activism, and I think, you know, I think um, that's a big part of it too. And I'll just touch on this, but it's like, you know, I think some white folks think there's only so many ways to go about it. And I think ultimately, you know, when we get up and we confront our own demons and we confront our own white supremacy, um, that's doing the work right there. That'll make you feel better right there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because really the things that bring out white supremacy and folks are real yucky. They're yucky for our person. They're yucky for who we are inside. They're yucky for our personality. So when we start to deal with those things and really start to activate on behalf of other people, of course, we're going to feel better. And of course, we're going to feel sexy. And yes, like, yeah, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and really like that is how uh, the squats for social justice came about mm-hmm. because during the pandemic, like was huge shift for us mm-hmm. and the decisions yeah. that we were making about where we wanted our business to go. And um, but at the same time, it was also a time that like, I physically was not able to do very much. I was yeah. right, right, right before having to have a double knee replacement. Like I couldn't walk down my block. Like I just, I felt I was like confined to my house in more than one way. And I was like, how, how am I going to, you know, besides just social media, like, how can I do the work? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I was seeing all that you were doing. I was like, God, I really want to be a part of it, but I cannot put my body out there yet. Like, cause I physically, I just couldn't. Yeah. And so, that, so we were like, we're going to do a fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I'm so and it was awesome. Right. 
I mean, it was such an amazing thing. I think number one, it was amazing because you got me to do a squat. So <laughs> that in and of itself was a miracle. Yeah. Um, and then I think I, you know, and I think also getting people, people's bodies moving, you know, um, getting people talking about not only like, you know, social justice, but physical activity in a time where everybody was like really kind of low down and you know, and honestly, all of the girls had so much fun. Like we all had a blast. Um, so that was a that was such a dope event, and I can't wait to do it again live this time. I yes. know. I yeah. am so excited. <laughs> but- yeah, I'm pumped. I think it's gonna be great. And I can't wait to like do like I said, I can't wait to do it in person because I feel like, yeah, you can feel it through a screen, but like joy like in person. Mm-hmm. there's just no there's no match there's no contest yeah. yeah so if you're local and you're listening to this we are putting together a second squats for social justice 2.0 yes um and we're going to be doing it here in town uh there's going to be music there's going to be food we're hoping that julianne will speak at the event just putting you on the spot right here <laughs> she says yes i last julianne will be speaking at the event <laughs> Um, and, and, and twerking at the event oh and yes, twerking absolutely. You know what? We, I think that there's gonna have to be a prize for the most creative squat form yes. so you know like there 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 is an avenue for twerking in this yeah they, you might as well not even try winning I'm winning that one <laughs> I can't do a proper squat anyway so I have to get creative right Um, but if you're not local I do want to have ways for you to still participate um and then we'll be like live streaming the event and um so that you can still participate at home or in your own gym um so that we can you can also work towards um raising money for Black Joy Oregon um and and all that so yeah yeah it's gonna be awesome yeah super fun Yeah. yeah no doubt yeah I'm excited so you mentioned that we uh, had performed the miracle of having you do a squat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that we like to chat with our uh, guests about is like body stuff, like body yeah. image, your relationship with your body. If you wouldn't mind yeah. sharing, can you talk a little bit about um, what your relationship with your body was growing up? Yeah. You know, my relationship with my body was a little, was a little weird. I feel like um, I moved when I first came to Oregon, I moved from an all black community um, and I very quickly moved out to Jefferson, Oregon into an all white community. Um, And so, you know, I had a lot of like, I had a lot of image issues because there, no one really looked like me. Right. Like no one really, um, I didn't know if I was pretty, I didn't know if I like met whatever standard there was because that, standard didn't really apply to me so I think for a long time I didn't really appreciate that like I had a stacked little body man I didn't really like see it that way I just saw myself as very different um and as I kind of grew up and you know started having kids I think um I still had a really hard time with identifying you know um and maybe this is like TMI too but we'll just talk about it Like, you know, when that, when you get into that phase of, you know, sexuality, you know, it's like, well, my nipples are not pink and my, you know, my body is not, it doesn't look like yours. And so, um, you know, so I had a really difficult time and I think I still, 
I still do to a degree. I think I kind of recognize the body I had and want that body, but that's just <laughs> not my body now. Um, and then, you know, also as a mom, I'm coming to, you know, to kind of recognize that like, um, the issues I have with my body are not actually my issues, right? Like my body looks very much so like my family. Um, I have my aunt's body. I have my grandmother's body. And those bodies were always very beautiful to me. Um, but because there's like this different um, standard, uh, it's tough sometimes um, because I see other people's like, gorgeous big bodies and I go yes queen and then I look at my body and I go mm. but it's the same I mean it's there, it's no different so I think you know I think almost all women have that you know especially now where bigger bodies are kind of becoming a little bit more accepted which I think is fantastic um I think we all have those kind of moments you know but I think I'm really at a point of looking historically at what bodies like mine are actually supposed to look like um and going oh I'm fly okay yeah like cool 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 yeah but it I mean it takes time yeah it's it's so common um to have a greater acceptance for other people's bodies and the yeah. diversity that happens in other people's bodies but still struggle to like accept it within yourself and I would yeah. imagine that like when there's not a lot of great representation when you look around you that that would make that internal yeah. uh, dialogue even more difficult sometimes mm-hmm. and yeah yeah I went when I went home when I went to Washington DC this last year and um, and actually like got to visit with my family and see them. I was like, Oh, like, the, you know, like it was kind of odd because it was like the first time I was seeing them in a, in a long while. And I was like, Oh, this is where this body, this body body comes from. Yes. You know? And it was really exciting to just kind of see my family again and to recognize like my body somewhere else and be able to go, Oh no, we cool. Like it's good business. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. So you came from Washington, DC. Uh, no, I went, when I went to my, to the March on Washington this year, I picked up my family first. So I'm from North Carolina and then we drove overnight to DC for the, the March, but, um, I marched with my dad, my sister, my brother. Um, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh, that must've been so powerful of an experience. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And my dad with his little, my dad's a Marine. So, um, and you guys know how Oregon in Oregon, when we see like, don't tread on me, you're like, oh no, this could be a problem. But my, my cute, my cute little black dad is a little don't tread on me socks. It was so cute. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so amazing. Just a great experience. Yes. So you kind of touched on this already, but I wanted to hear more about like your experience growing up as a black person in a yeah. very, very all white community um, yeah. and how like you you've touched on how your relationship with your body was it's there are a lot of layers to this yeah because there's not just like the diet culture kind of stuff but there's the fact that nobody looked like you um, yeah. and so how did that um how did that 
play out in your relationships with other people, like with friends or romantic relationships? Yeah, I think in, with romantic relationships, like I said, it was just real weird. You know, it was always really, really hard. Um, you know, like I would want to date someone or have a crush on someone and they would, you know, say, I don't think my family is going to like that, you know, um, or like dudes will go, oh, my God, you're so pretty for a black girl. I'm like, what the fuck? that mean I'm pretty for any girl get your life right um you know but but you hear stuff like that and it's you know it's very demeaning um and then you start questioning like okay well for a black girl what is that you know but my aunts are black and my great so it's like this backhanded type compliment um or you would hear things like you know my you know my my dad said this or my my mom doesn't want you in the house because she thinks you're gonna steal um like and you're just trying to like date and figure out who you are and I think um it always made me very uncomfortable um in my own skin because you know even when I even when I'm completely happy with my body and the way that I look and who I am um you always know that someone else isn't okay with you and just your presence. And I think that that's really difficult. And I, um, I explain, um, and I'll just cut the shit and get right to it. Like I explain this to my wife a lot because, you know, like I am a very like private person with my relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not even because I, I'm not proud or it's not special to me. It's I'm literally being stared at all day long everywhere I go and so to add like you know this other relationship or this other like level to that where now not only am I black but I'm you know gay or I'm part of the LGBTQIA community um now not only am I getting stared at all day but now there's like this added level of feeling unsafe yeah and really for me it is a matter of safety because yeah. I don't know if this person is staring at me because they've just genuinely never seen a black person because that's happened to me yes. before. So. Um, or if they, you know, there's some harm here or, you know, and so, um, so I think, you know, having that always to have that in the back of your mind is really disturbing. You know, my children, uh, two of my children are white passing. And I've heard numerous times, oh, my God, they're so cute. You're so lucky to be their nanny. And I'm like, those are my children. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, I've gotten into, um, at, uh, it was Black Friday, and they had a sale on those, like, life-size dolls. And my child is fair-skinned with blue eyes. And so I wanted to get her one that looked like her. And this lady was, like, you know, screamed at me for taking a white, the last white doll um and was like your your child doesn't even look like that and you know and it was just really like I've had situations like this happen where currently and so you know ultimately it's very strange to have something that you have no control over make you feel so unsafe um and it happens all the time like I'm literally stared at constantly um and so it just adds this extra layer of always needing you know when I was younger I would always do my makeup all the time 
I would have my hair together all the time. I would, you know, pay this exorbitant amount of money to look a certain way because I knew people were going to stare at me anyways. And so I felt this pressure to always look right. Um, Right. Like you're always on display. Mm -hmm. So you had to like, you were trying to like keep up appearances for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. This is why like studying intersectionality is so important for every person because, you know, as a white woman listening to your story, like I, I can identify with parts of that, but there are experiences that you've had that I have, I have never had to deal with ever. Um, and you know, it, I, it, I, it's good to, I mean, I think it's a really good practice to try to imagine what that would be like on a regular basis. And the more all of us have towards things like that, we like, that's how we come together more because absolutely, I can't imagine having a conversation with someone in a store, like a confrontation. That's not, it wasn't a conversation, (laughs) confrontation with someone in the store because they were making assumptions about what my child looked like. Like I also have a white passing child, but I'm white. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly how it, it really is with when his dad has him. Um, I know that, um, you know, when we were dating, his parents had a lot of questions about what my parents were going to think. Yeah. And and he had sort of, you know, as a, as a black man and he up in a white, very white town um, was in Wenatchee, Washington. So very, you know, it was like the only black family when, yeah. Bless him. Yeah. Yeah. When his parents were first together, they, his parents were together since they were like 15 and when that first happened, they put his mom in like a child correction facility yeah. to separate them, you know, for her like dating a black man. Yeah. Uh, and so, so my ex-husband has always been very sort of guarded, but yeah. also like ha- created this sort of hyper, um, and I'm not talking about, well, maybe we can unpack this together because he kind of had yeah. like hypersexualized identity and I know yes. it comes from externally but it was also yeah. something that where it, I think he kind of like pulled it in and embraced it as like a, as his own yeah. like because like I'm the man now like yes so. yeah yeah and I think you can't I think you know I've I've kind of experienced that in a way and I've never actually I'm so grateful that you said that because I've never really heard it said like that but for you know for a lot of people I'm a fetish right Right. um especially being mixed Uh I'm just black enough Mm -hmm. but you know I'm not and I have like that you know and I can be honest when I say that I have like I have a certain I have a fair amount of light skin privilege Right. So I'm just black enough to, to wet your whistle, so to speak. Um, but I'm not black enough to scare you. And I think that, you know, a lot of people fetishize that, um, black men, a hundred percent are fetishized. Um, you know, I've heard so many like folks say, Oh, I just, I just want to date a black man so I can have a mixed baby. Like, you know, all of these things and black men really become like this, this thing that's sought after, but not cared for. 
Yes. And so are black women, like black women are sought after, but we're not cared for. And we've been a fetish for white men for eons, centuries and centuries. Um, And so, you know, and I do think about that because for a long time, I kind of wore that pretty for a black girl thing um, as kind of like this badge, like this, you know, this mixed girl badge of honor. Um, when ultimately number one, it's horseshit. Um, it, it really is gross. Um, and you're not looking at me because I'm a good person or I'm intelligent or I'm smart or I, you know, like you're not looking at any of the merits of who I am as a person. You're simply saying like, I might as well be something you could try on a menu to some of these folks. And I think black men go through very much so the same thing. Um, And especially I think here in the Pacific Northwest, like black men are sought after. They're sought after by black women because we want black love. Right. And that's hard to find here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when your ratio is like one to a thousand, it's pretty intense. Um, And then, so you have this, like the fight is on for black men, you know, like, and so absolutely, I think, I think that's absolutely something that, um, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I think this whole, the whole, that I feel like we could have a whole discussion just. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, I joke around, I joke around with Shay all the time and I go, well, you know what? All the black dudes were dating white women. So I had to see what it was all about. Now look, okay. <laughs> But, you know, but, and and we joke about that because we, you know, we obviously realize the reality of it being actually very difficult. And that was something I actually kind of grieve is like not having that relationship because of proximity, Um, you know, and so that's, you know, that's something that we talk about a lot and are very open about with one another, but it's just, you know, that's the reality. I think we are fetishized in a major way. And I think right now, especially, Um, with all of this like Black Lives Matter which is great but it also has kind of heightened this like this thing where now like I want to be your friend and I don't want to be your friend off the merit of who you are I want to be your friend because I have I need a black friend and Black Lives Matter right black person come here yeah 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 yeah. but then you're not given any type of autonomy or you know or people want to get mad when you like are like hey that's actually mad racist yeah. Whoa. Or like, you know, people want to get upset when you call things out, but they, but they never really intended to be your friend. They just needed a brown person. Right. Right. And that's something like when I first started doing anti-racism work, I had to really take a hard look at my own self with that yeah. because I like me 10 years ago would have absolutely told you that I can't be racist because I'm married to a black man. Like, oh, and, and you sure oh, can't. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my husband, yeah. of course I'm not. And then that was like, <laughs> was like, my work here is done. And that's not like, <laughs> right. that's not it. That is yeah. not the work. Yeah. And so, you know, like that was, that was honestly like one of the harder things for me to square up with when I started doing yeah. racism work, because, you know, like I kind of just felt like, oh, since, you know, like most of my life, I did date outside of my race. Right. I, you wouldn't know that because me now being married to a very, you know, white, blonde, blue. eyed, <laughs> And we, and we love him and right. we love him. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
but um but like Jill would joked with me at our our wedding she was like I thought I would never see the day when you (laughs) were married (laughs) like you know but but that was like for me like I had to I had to let go of like well this is now like that was like this protection around me having to do the really really hard work of anti-racism yeah and um and I'm in, I'm grateful that I have done it, like that I'm not still yeah. clinging to that, that because I think that that can be really harmful. It can. And I think it's really harmful to children. You know, like I, I'm always very honest about uh, my relationship with my mother, you know, um, and my mother dated a black man to piss off her family. Let's keep it a buck. Um, <laughs> she married that black man to piss him off further. Um, and then had two children, um, my family, my white side of my family, bro, God bless them. Cause now they're with the shits, but you know, they weren't with it, man. Um, we dealt with a lot of racism and this is like in, in like small town, like North Carolina, people weren't having that. Right. Um, so we got a lot of crap from this side. We got a lot of crap from that side. And there was never really any thought put into how this would affect us yep. being living in two different worlds and really, you know, have not having an understanding, you know, like I would hear my mom say the most racist, wild things. And, um, you know, I remember we were all sitting at dinner one day and her friend was talking about how you call into 1-800 numbers and can't get, you know, someone who speaks English or whatever. And he said, sand inward. And they all just laughed and they were laughing and chuckling. And I'm like sitting in this chair. He's like, bro, I'll punch you in the throat. Do you not realize like I'm brown and I'm sitting here and this is harmful? Right. I don't care if they're from Egypt or from who, wherever, like you're, this is not okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but I remember hearing these things or I remember my mom, like really, um, you know, like talking down to like Hispanic folks. Um, and just being, you know, in, in service positions or, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, or when, uh, Beyonce did the, uh, the, um, Super Bowl, um, thing that was powerful. Like I watched that and I was like, yes. and my mom was like, she just needs to shut up and say, um, you know, and I remember hearing these things and just going, do you not recognize that this is the, like, this is the world that I live in. Mm-hmm. Do you not get that these things are harmful to me? And and even though you're not talking about me specifically or black people specifically, I can tell in your tone that if I wasn't related to you, you would have no problem saying these things to me. Right. Um, you know, and very, and very many times she used the kind of black man card on my dad where she would call, you know, she would call the police and act like she was scared of my, you know, scared of my dad. And, um, you know, and really my dad's just trying to see his kids, you know? Um, and so I really kind of watched this dynamic play out in my own life. And I think for a long time had a ton of internalized racism, felt really bad about who I was. I remember I used to make jokes and call myself an Oreo and, you know, like I really didn't like the fact that I, number one, I couldn't reconcile slave and master, right? Like I'm both of those things. 
Um, and so when I, you know, somebody had written this in a Times article, I think, but it was like, I, when I look in the mirror, I see the violence between the two. Yeah. Um, and so that can be really, really hard to, to reconcile because yes, I am a part and claim this culture, but at the same token, I'm also this. Mm-hmm. Um, and my family has been not great, you know, like right. on that front. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it really is a difficult thing. I think it really is a tough thing to, to come to terms with and to understand about yourself. And I think that's, you know, that's when it comes down to choosing, choosing and having to choose. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I, the whole time, I mean, all of it, what you said was so powerful and must have been so painful to go through. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, for, uh, as you were talking, I think a lot about my son and raising a mixed child. Yeah. And, um, I just, I wanted, I want to do better for him. You yeah. Know, but you're doing, but you're doing it because you're working that stuff out in yourself. You know, a lot of white moms, especially I watched this in the Pacific Northwest. They, they do exactly what you said you would have done 10 years ago right. <laughs> where they're like, I'm not, they're saying they're running around saying the N word and you know, and they're like, well, my son is black. Well, then that's even more of a reason for you not right. to say that. Right. Your right. son is not that. Yeah. Right. Like, if that's the 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 what you want your son to aspire to right um we've got problems right exactly like that's a major issue and so I think that's like that's really dope actually when I see mothers of mixed children that like they try to get involved they try to take them around folks in their community they try to make sure they have you know, people in their life that tell them like, you are worthy, you are special, you are incredible. Um, because they're so, you know, black girls are over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. They never get to be children ever, ever, ever. And it's the same thing with, with black or mixed boys. They don't ever get to be children. They're always on high alert. They're always on ready. Um, yeah. you know, they don't get to go out. Like I, unfortunately I tell myself all the time, you don't get to make the same mistakes. Yeah. You don't get to be out here drunk and acting wild and partying and doing all kinds of stuff. You don't get to do that because you could end up dead. Yeah. I, yes, I've had that, you know, so my son is 13 and, you know, we've had that conversation several times. Yeah. But I remember it was when, you know, a lot of the protests were going on uh, this over the last couple of years. And I, you know, I'm working here out of my garage yeah. and my son's homeschooling so he every day he would take our dog who's a little pit bull for a long walk and he yeah. was out and I remember watching him go and he was wearing this like really cute little like sweat matching sweat you know sweat suit thing you know like <laughs> you know yeah. and he as he left he put his hood up and I was like oh and I was kind of like okay I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep an eye and then that same time some cop comes driving by really, really slow through our neighborhood past in front of our, our door, like three times. And yep. I felt like I was going to puke. Like I stopped yep. class. Like I was like, Hey, I, I need to figure out what's going on. I'm calling the police station. Like, why is this cop driving through here? What's going on? Like, I was just like, my son is out there with our dog. He's dark. He's yep. got a hood on. He's walking a pit bull. Like, 
holy shit. And it turns out that he was just looking for a man that had like wandered away from like an old folks home. But I don't think I've ever been that scared. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be nearly as scared for my blonde haired little five-year-old if he had been running around outside. And he's like, like, um, as a mom, you want to keep your kids safe, like physically and emotionally. And like what I was hearing about how (laughs) your mom sort of was like, you know, like, I love you, but like other black people, they're like commodified. Like she, right. Beyonce needs to just stick with singing. Well, LeBron yeah. needs to just stick with basketball, you know, right. like shut up and do your job kind of thing. Like, I don't like, I don't want my son to ever feel that way. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so important to, you know, to encourage people to speak up about how they feel because a lot of people don't really understand too, that from a mixed perspective, we also get it from both sides. We get it from all sides. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to our discussion. Do you love the Push podcast? Support us by becoming a Push patron. As a Push patron, you will have exclusive access to our episodes, bonus materials, freebies, access to ask us questions and more. Go to www.patreon.com slash pushfitness. That's www.patreon.com slash pushfitness now to get started. And now back to the push podcast. Um, you know, like I remember being a kid and having my hair pulled, being pulled hair first off the swing because I had different hair. Um, then, you know, then, um, um, then, uh, you know, I had different hair than other black girls and here, you know, here I was wishing my hair was like theirs. Right. Um, and I mean, and I like literally was assaulted on a regular basis for, for that as well. Um, and so I think from, you know, from being a mixed person, um, it's tough because you really do feel that struggle in every single aspect of life. And then when you finally like pick a side, so to speak, um, because like, and this is my rule when the cops show up, I'm black. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm black today, tomorrow and the day after. Um, but for a long time, I felt like I had like a choice, you know, like I was like, Oh, well, I can just, you know, and it's like, no, because when you got red and blues behind you, I'm absolutely black. Um, I'm treated like I'm black by law enforcement. I've been treated like I'm black by this system my entire life. Um, I've spent a little time in foster care. I've spent a little time. And, you know, even in foster care, they don't know how to take care of your hair. They don't know how to take care of your body. Um, so you you go to school looking a mess or you go, you know, you you don't look you don't have pride in how you appear because people don't know how to take care of you. Um, And so, you know, there's, there's just so many things to think of when it comes to really like loving your body as a person of color. Um, There's just so many things that are important. And I think representation is one of the most important. Um, But I think also, you know, people really just wanting to, to learn and just saying, okay, your body is, perfect the way that it is and that's reality like all bodies everybody yeah is just that's how they're supposed to be yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's one thing that I wish that I had known so long ago like I wish I had just grown up knowing that you know that all of our bodies like 
your like looking out <laughs> and looking in that yeah. all we're all kind of exactly where they should be and science backs that up like the more we yeah. learn about that like like each person like genetically and biologically has a, a set point what we're supposed to be you know like if you have like whether you have chronic illnesses or like a lot of that stuff is just not up to us and it is we're we're sort of where we're supposed to be and yeah. I just like I want to live in a world where like that is that's more accepted and that yeah. are like we are linked we're not ranked because of those things yeah yeah and I th- I mean I think that's why like to be really honest like even though I you know I'm a woman just like everybody else I have trouble areas and I have areas I'm not stoked about um but that's one of the reasons I don't diet mm-hmm I, you know, like that sounds wild to me. Um, I am hungry. I'm going to eat. Um, like weird. Um, I am like craving a certain something like, and usually like when it's steak or greens or something like that tells me my body's low on iron, right? Like there's certain things that like just make sense to me. Um, and dieting ain't one of them. Like that makes no sense. I'm hungry. I'm eating. Right. It, and that is so, yes, all <laughs> of that, because like, it is one of the weirdest things to me that like our society thinks that like, like not eating when we're hungry is more like, right. than right. eating when we're hungry. Like we wouldn't, a- I would never ask you to like not pee when you right. have to pee, right. or to right. not take a breath when yeah. you take a breath, but like, but like food. Oh no. Like don't eat no. hungry. I mean, yeah. Like, and I think that's really weird. Like I, I actually was like thinking about doing keto. So I borrowed these like keto cookbooks. So I was like, okay, maybe this is like the way to do it. Cause you can just eat, you know? And, um, I started reading it and I was like, I'm not going to do any of this shit. Like, let's keep it about this sounds crazy. I'm not to hear that because but yeah, bro, it's like this is wild. I'm not gonna spend three days cooking to eat like for two. Like this is wild. This makes no sense to me. Um, and and I like honestly, I have so much respect for folks that like have that much discipline. Surely, um, but I think at, at at the same point, um, if my body is working and my body is functioning well. Um, and I feel good about that. Um, I'm okay. Yeah. Well, do you know what the top four side effects of keto are? So sadness, (laughs) hunger, (laughs) you're close because it's uh, rage, stinky breath, impaired brain function, stinky coochie and oh boy. Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't want, like, I don't want any of those things. How, how did this get so popular? Like, I like, especially, I mean, I mean, the death thing is big, but yeah, like, yeah, that's a big one about the stinky coochie thing. Like word, like, yeah, you, you might be like super thin and, you know, quote unquote sexy now, but like, come on. Right. But your <laughs> vagina now smells like bacon and beef jerky. <laughs> and you got a problem. Yeah, Absolutely. Why does your why does your vagina smell like a pickle and a roast beef sandwich? Like, let's talk about this now. Yeah, that's wild. I can't even. I'm so glad I didn't do it, man. Um, yeah, I just read all this stuff and I was like, 
this sounds so silly. And, you know, when really for me personally, I've noticed, um, and obviously I ain't too worried about it, but, um, you know, for me, I noticed it's really about portions. I eat past, past being hungry. Um, because I'm just, you know, and I w- I've been working actually with some of that with my, uh, my trauma person, right? Like I do tapping and those kinds of things. Yes. And um, some of that is because I didn't always have food. Exactly. So when I get when the getting's good, and luckily, as an adult, I haven't had that issue. So now I'm just eating in a weird pattern, right? Like, I don't have the same insecurity. So I could probably eat off a smaller plate, I could probably get full much, much easier because I am eating consistently. Right. Um, but those are some of the things to deal with. Yeah. Well, and when you've had a a history of, of food scarcity, it can take some time for your body to trust. And it's one of those things that like the way to heal that from a nutritional standpoint, so that your body trusts is to go through that period of letting yourself eat at any time that you want to. And over time, your body will trust that. So when it's, it is the complete elimination of restriction mentally yep. and physically, that's going to help heal that relationship. So you don't even have to worry about the smaller plate. Yeah. The, you, what, what, if, I mean, cause I, I'm, I'm studying uh, nutritional, like intuitive eating uh, counseling yes. right now. Um, but if I was your counselor, in this, I would tell you to just let yourself eat and not restrict mentally or physically. And that, that will, that would kind of, well, now I've been like ordering, you know, I've been ordering like just smaller things and then I'm able to recognize like, Oh, I'm already full. My body feels. Yeah. My body already is full. Like I'm okay with just, just like the other day I was actually very surprised. I sat down and eat, uh, and I had a poke salad right and normally it would be like a poke salad and some sushi and 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 right mm-hmm. and i ate that and i go i'm full mm-hmm. i'm surprisingly full um and it was a very small you know comparatively <laughs> to what i usually eat it was a very small portion and i think too americans just eat large um southern people eat real large um right. you know Sunday dinners were always five, six, seven, eight courses. Like it was the whole spread. And so I think I'm so used to seeing these huge meals that I'm always like, oh yeah, I need all this stuff. When in reality, intuitively, um, I'm actually full fairly quickly. And I think if I, you know, if I ate that way, um, then things might be a little different, but at the same token, I don't, you know, I'm not going to feel bad about food right like and if you do like if you do get physically full but then like your taste buds or your brain still like is like I want more that's also fine like you're not right we're not good or bad for overeating either yeah so yeah yeah like I love that you're in that place where you're kind of really working on finding peace and I think it's so fitting that it sort of has become part of your journey as part of your trauma yeah it really is like accepting my body accepting my skin accepting you know all of that is huge I think all of that is really really a big deal and I think accepting my hips accepting my thighs um and knowing that like yo brown girls got back like and that's totally okay I am supposed I'm not supposed to be like 
this. I'm supposed to have a little, a little bit of this. That's and, right. you know, I think coming to kind of terms with that or, or, you know, um, I've been talking about maybe some things that I want to do just because I want my body to be a little bit different and kind of un- coming to the understanding that that's okay too. There's yeah. no one way to do it as long as I feel good. Yep. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Like body autonomy is a part of this movement. It's not yeah. just like, oh, just you have to love yourself for exactly how you are. And it's like, no, right. it, like accepting yourself and loving yourself. Like part of that can be, can be changing some things. If you, yeah. you know, if you don't like it right um so yeah nuance that I think some people don't really get it's like it's it they're like oh it's got to be just super black and white it's like well but even that way like you don't allow for um you don't really allow for inclusion that way because like yeah you're I mean if you don't allow for body autonomy you're kind of excluding whole communities of people who yeah you know, may not feel that they are at home in their bodies from birth. For sure. Like like that part as well. Yeah. That part as well. And I think people don't often like think about what it is their body is actually supposed to look like as opposed to this body or that body. Like I think, you know, what's, what's possible for my body may not be possible for someone else's and likewise like I am never going to be six foot tall and have legs up to my chin that's not my life right um the more I look at people who look like that and try to envy or covet that the more unhappy and upset I'm going to be now if I look at somebody with my body type and they're owning their 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 sexuality they're owning their body they're owning you know, being comfortable, they're finding a fitness routine that's healthy and safe for them. Um, that's dope. Yes. Like, but if, you know, this, it's like, I feel like it's just this, and we know this, you know, but it's like this constant comparison to bodies that really, no matter what we do, even if we had plastic surgery, even if we like, it will never look like that. And magazines will never look like that. No one walks around with somebody photoshopping them in real life. Right. That's not a thing that we get to experience. So, you know, this idea that we can even remotely look like these folks that are just completely photoshopped and made perfect in every single way is wild. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best things I did for my own mental health was start unfollowing a lot of people and accounts that made me feel worse about my body. And these might, like, some of them were even, like, people, like, friends or like people I'd taken certifications from or and I was just like you know what seeing this it was so and and then in addition to then being like seeking out people who had more body diversity so like following like the fat yoga instructor or yeah people in bigger bodies who were doing fitness just like me and you know and it was like that is it it really really helps um yeah see that okay like so do you think that your your changing relationship with your body has affected the work that you do now yes yeah um I think you know before I realized I had allies I really didn't even feel comfortable enough speaking speaking up um you know 
when I was growing up, when you would bring up something that looked racist, right? Um, you were just like that person. Like they'd be like, oh, don't make it a black thing or don't make it a, and you're like, but that's what it is, you know? But there was really not a lot of comfort in saying that. Um, and then I recognized that there were so many other black or brown women that felt exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really, let's start talking about our hair. Let's start talking about our skin and what, what it means. Um, let's start talking about our bodies and our wellness in a way that makes sense. Um, so it absolutely informs um, a lot of my work because the more comfortable I get and unapologetic I get in my blackness, um, the more I have to offer, mm-hmm. um, you know, the more strength I have to speak up when something is wrong and it just looks wrong because I'm not ashamed and I don't, you know, like it used to, you know, being stared at, it still bothers me because who wants to feel like a zoo animal. Right. But at the same token, there's like this, um, I now have a, a pride in it. Um, that I can't say that I always have or always exuded. And I think that that's powerful to hand off. Yeah. Um, loving yourself and being okay with who you are is a really dope thing to be able to hand off. Um, and now like I, I work with a lot of like older black women mentors. Like I make sure that I have people like that in my life and in my space because, um, cause number one, they know, right. Um, like older black women, I don't, I honestly don't even know where the world would be without them. But, um, you know, I, I think looking at their example of how they love themselves, of how they've come through all the, all of these like traumatic things, um, and still have hope and still are able to encourage and connect. Um, that has, I mean, it absolutely has. I think the more I love myself, the more I'm comfortable with who I am, the bigger the message gets. Um, not only the bigger the message gets, but the belief that I, I can be the vessel for the message um, and the belief that the message is bigger than me, right? Like I can stop focusing on why it applies to me and start just going, oh, wow. If I feel like this, I know for sure other women are feeling like this. So this is so much bigger than me just feeling good about myself. This is like, got it. Okay. It like, I just got the chills because like that is, it's so true. Like kind of letting go of like this constant internal, like, Mm -hmm. um, and just, just saying like, I am, I am not just okay as I am, but I'm worthy. I'm powerful. I'm, you know, and, and creating community around that. And then like, that it's, it's so, it can be so powerful and that's where, I mean, that's where change is going to happen. So, yeah, and I've, you know, and I've watched other women just go, yo, I've never seen a black woman sit in her power. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Let's change that. Cause you're a black woman who can sit in your power. Yo, like yes. it's the thing we do, we get to do this today. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many cool things about finding starting to find out for yourself and finding your own voice because you know I and I was thinking about this while you're talking like 
I remember when I used to go out and people, um, uh, people used to stare at me and I would, I would go inward and I would kind of like shrink, right? Like I would like really shrink myself. Um, and now people kind of do the same thing. I go, yes. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're staring at me. This is weird. Hey, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I make it very obvious. Like I kind of almost call more attention to it because you have to know that this is, you have to know that this is ridiculous. Right. And I do. Right. So, um, and I, it's, I, I like to call it like a check with love, right? Like right. I'm going to smile at you and be like, why are you making this weird? Hi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so like now, you know, I kind of get, I, there's no reason for me to shrink or make myself smaller ever. Um, yeah. not with men. Um, and I think women deal with that a lot too. Right. Like, where we're we're emotional Ugh. um and I remember the mayor doing that to me um where I was like talking about an experience and he was like well you know that was a very emotional and I was like no that was what happened yeah and it's not an emotional response and I remember like just getting so annoyed by that mm-hmm. um being like no I'm taking up this space right now well, and I- you don't get to diminish it yeah. And being emotional is okay. There is a yeah. fat activist uh, called Reagan Chastain, and she does a lot of work around like medical bias and things like that. And she yep. kind of coaches people through how to deal with like doctors, because like, like, especially like doctors tend to be white men. They're also tend to be fat phobic. And mm-hmm. so you are trying to advocate yourself and mm-hmm. you're person who tends to get emotional you don't have to it, that doesn't have to be a problem to apologize for and so the, what she does is she coaches people to say if you're uncomfortable with my emotion you can step out for a little bit and yeah. when you feel like you're you're able to to confront it because absolutely it's okay it's not it's not a weakness like like you know like right. we apologize so often for crying and for yeah. like say like or for, for being emotional and there is power in that because yeah when we're emotional we're speaking our truth yep. like this happened and this yeah. is how I felt about it and you can't say like oh it's what happened is devalued because you have emotions about it what happened should be amplified because you had emotions yeah. about it because that is it affected you like yeah yeah and I'm just now getting to this stage in my life where like yo with everybody I'm just like hey how are you doing I really don't I'm not lying to you Mm -hmm. um I'm I mean I'll either say I'm well or I'll be like I ain't got it today man um and I'm sorry like you know I'm going through this uh this trauma at work and it's hard and and I'm realizing like just how much trauma I've had and I have to say like listen, I'm not in a good space today. I just want to lay here and cry. I'm grieving. I'm going through some grief and it's not on you. Mm-hmm. Like, so don't try to make me happy. Don't try to fucking like, just let me do it. Just let me go through this. You maintain your joy over here. Um, <laughs> and let me just sit in this for a minute yeah. because the problem ensues when we don't. 
do that. And, you know, there's all types of religious practices or, you know, cultural practices that give time for grief, that give time for these experiences. And as Americans, we really shut that shit down. Mm-hmm. And we go, oh, no, we got to be back in the office by Tuesday. Um, and we've just experienced something so major, so traumatic, so wild. And we haven't even given ourselves, we haven't even loved on ourselves. We haven't even figured out whether or not we're, we're, we're really okay. Right. And then we're back to 40 hours a week and we're back to the business. And that's like a lot of, of why, you know, there's like a pill for everything. There's a quick fix for everything. Cause you haven't even figured out how you feel about what just happened. Right. And then that trauma lives in your body. Like Absolutely. If you don't do the work to clear it out. That stress will, will yep. manifest itself physically. And, 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 you know, to do this work, like you, you, you want to clear that shit out. Mm-hmm. But hundred <laughs> percent. Well, because doing this work, you're always adding to it. Yeah. Whether you're a, and, and I, and I like to acknowledge this a lot with, uh, with allies and I call them co-conspirators. Um, I like to acknowledge this, uh, with co-conspirators a lot. Um, it's very difficult to, um, to be honest with yourself and say, I am contributing to white supremacy. That's a tough thing to do. It's very hard to be honest about that. And it's very hard to hold those thoughts captive. So it's even traumatic for white people who are trying to do the work. And I think not enough people really kind of acknowledge that. It is very difficult to go, I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, it can be very harmful to look at the ways in which you have perpetuated these things and the way in which the ways in which you've caused harm um that in, in and of itself can be traumatic um for you because now you're like oh this is everything i don't believe in and here i am i'm smack dab in the middle of it that is hard that's hard work to do and so i think even for you know even for our co-conspirators people need to really like understand that we're always adding to the trauma you know, and it's traumatic. Like I watched a lot of like my white friends kind of see what life was like for me for the first time um, this summer. And they were like, I just had no idea that it was like this for you. But now I'm out here and I'm standing because let me tell you something. These proud boys, these folks, they didn't come out of nowhere. They've been here. Right. We've been dealing with these folks, you know, um, and so when, when people kind of have that first understanding of really like, oh God, it's really this bad. Um, that is traumatic. Yep. When you start realizing your friends and your family are who you thought they were, Mm -hmm. that's traumatic. Um, and so, you know, even, even for our co-conspirators, man, there's a lot of trauma, uh, involved with activism, a ton, a ton. Mm -hmm. And there's layers to it. Like, I feel like, you know, like in the beginning, you're like sifting out people in your social media. It's like, okay, bye. Okay, bye. And then it's like, you go to Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, oh shit, my uncle's fucking racist. (laughs) You're like, then, you know, like we're dealing with a thing right now where like we um, posted something about that, the church on Planned Parenthood and someone who we very much thought was an ally freaked out on us. And it was like, it was like, it was just like, we didn't see it coming. And, um, so it's, there's, 
it's not just a like, okay, like we know, you know, like we know where we stand with people and we're done. Yep. It's a constant thing. And, and what would be nice is to have these be like conversations, but sometimes they aren't sometimes. Yeah. A lot of times they aren't. Most of the time they aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Because people aren't really ready. People aren't, when folks aren't ready for the conversation, and this is why a lot of the times, like, you'll see in a lot of, like, the the group chats and the things like that and all of that, like, I'm really not involved in a lot of that. Because um, here's my thing, and, and not to say that I don't want to, you know, but I'm not going to convince you of my humanity. Right. I'm not. Um, I'm not going to fight with you about it. If you want to be racist, honey, you go be racist right over there. I ain't going to bother you. Um, now when you're ready to talk about it and we can honestly have a cool conversation, I'm that, I'm that girl. Like I love allyship. I love creating allies and co-conspirators, but there's not nothing in me that's going to beg you to see my humanity. Right. Um, nothing and I'm not gonna belittle you because of it I'm not gonna put you down um you know I w- I've been thinking about and I talk about this a lot with folks like some of these women that are with proud boys the the group you know um I go or black folks that are with these folks I go you know imagine because a lot of people want to just talk badly about them which is understandable I mean if even if we're just talking about the merit of behavior but mm-hmm. Imagine being a woman in one of the safest places for you, you feel, is in the middle of chauvinism, violence, yep. sexism. Um, imagine that being your experience. It's hard. My heart. My heart goes out for you. Imagine being a black person and being so degraded and so, you know, and feeling so bad about who you are that you're willing to go to these spaces and hear these things about who you are. And not only are you willing to sit in it, but you're willing to represent it and to fight for it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And that's why, you know, to me, I don't have a hateful word for you. My heart goes out to you. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything hateful to say. Um, my heart goes out to you. And I'm sad. I'm yeah. sad that as a woman, this is the safest place for you to be. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what is your life like? <laughs> like, I want to know what your life is like. Um, and you know, and so I, I try not to get into too much back and forth because a, I'm just not going to beg you to see my greatness. I see it. And that's, what's important. And you may never see it and it still won't stop me from being great. So that's the cool part. Um, and then the second thing is, is like, you know, there, there's so much empathy because I've had those moments in my life where I questioned my goodness and I questioned my appearance and I questioned all those things about myself enough to make some of those yucky comments enough to to have some biases um about myself and my culture um and so I get it I mean I don't got to be around it I don't have to tolerate it but I understand it yeah yeah it's very gracious of you but I yeah I I I get that perspective Mm because I've felt similarly. Yeah. The one, my favorite question, 
that we've been asking people, I want to ask you. Okay. Is if you could go back and tell your 10-year-old self anything, what would it be? Uh, man, 10 was a rough one for me. Um, I would say, I would just say you're going to make it. So don't do stupid shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like I, I, you know, I genuinely never thought I would make it to this age. I really didn't. I had a lot of, um, hardship. I grew up very difficult and I never saw myself as an adult. Um, I never saw myself getting to this point. So, um, so sometimes I think about things and I go, well, that was dumb. Um, I wish I had thought about that, but I honestly never saw myself as a grown up doing anything cool. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that would be, it. it's just, you're going to make it and, and listen to your intuition. Cause that greatness you see in yourself, it is there. It's not, it's not a mirage. You're great um yeah 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 the last the last episode we were um interviewing Claire who you know Claire yeah. that episode go back and not you Julian but Queen. the audience yes yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she was talking about how like we we don't leave our younger selves behind we take them with us and so like like healing your younger self and I just I just love that question so much because I feel yeah. like it's sort of like this gateway to start some of that healing process if you haven't. And it's a good practice. Cause like, I kind of talked to my younger self cause I have a lot of like regret about, you know, ways that I treated myself throughout mm-hmm. my childhood and adolescence yeah. and early twenties and to go back and be like, little Cara, like, you good. Yeah. 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 You're worthy. <laughs> well, and you know, like coming to this understanding that everything we've gone through, bro, is helping us help other women, mm-hmm. like helping us help other people. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think about that too. Cause when I was going through things, I'd be like, Oh my God, you know, like it's the worst. And right. now I like, you know, I realize it's all for the good. The universe really does work for the good. And had I not been through some of the things I've been through, there's no way I would identify with the number, the sheer number of people I identify with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a large number because I've been through a lot of shit and it's helpful to be intersectional when, you know, when you come to somebody and they're asking you for help and then they're like, well, you don't know my life. And you're like, actually, bro. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And they're able to kind of take some things from you that maybe they wouldn't have before. So yeah, that's, it's an amazing thing to kind of get to see what you've been through and how it's working for you now. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Good question. Do you have anything else that you want us to know, or you want our audience to know about you and what you do? Um, I don't know that I want them to know anything else about me, but I think what I want them to know about themselves is that um, you're capable, you're good, you're smart. Um, Everybody in their own way is exactly who they need to be in this moment. So even if you're not so happy with who you are right now in this moment, there will be another moment in this life where this moment makes makes sense. Um, So keep going, keep trucking, and uh, maintain your joy. Protect it at all costs. Yes. Oh, that just felt like a big hug, Juliana. I love it. It Thank was you. it was a big hug. It was a- <laughs> Thank you so much for being on here with us. I just yeah. I 
appreciate you so much in so many ways. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. And I appreciate everything you guys do and um, how you guys have come alongside us and supported us. And not only that, but um, that you are co-conspirators and you're doing your own work. Um, So I appreciate that in both of you as well. Thank you so much. That's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the Push Podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us a review. The more subscriptions and reviews that we get, the more visibility we get, and the more easily we can find listeners just like you. Also, if you really love the Push Podcast, consider becoming a Push patron. Go to www.patreon.com slash pushfitness to see all of our membership levels and show us some love over on our Patreon page. That's it. That's it. Bye. Bye.